Well, if you didn't know this, Celebrate Recovery is now a worldwide Jesus-centered recovery ministry that has helped literally millions of people find freedom from their hurts, hang-ups, and habits, and was founded by the same guy who wrote the book, Life's Healing Choices. A woman by the name of Mary Owen is a part of the national leadership team of Celebrate Recovery down in the States, and she shares a part of her story with us. She says this, One day our dryer broke, and the technician said it would be 10 days before they could fix it. All I could think was, I can't live a whole day without my dryer. So I asked my husband, Mac, if he would make me a clothesline. Being the MacGyver that he is, he had a functional clothesline tied between two trees in a matter of minutes. As I walked outside with my basket of wet clothes, I was greeted with a cool breeze rustling the leaves. Fluffy clouds floated in the sky. Birds sang from all sides. The hills felt alive. It was like I was in the sound of music. As I hung each article of clothing on the line, I thought of the old saying, don't air your dirty laundry. That brought back memories of me keeping secrets for so many years. At that time, evil taunted me with these whispers, no one will love you. You aren't good enough. You never will be. You've made too many wrong choices. It won't turn out good. You better keep your dirty laundry to yourself. I don't believe those lies anymore. I don't hide my dirty laundry anymore either. Mary goes on to say, all of us have broken dryers. In the fourth choice, we learn that we don't have to let our dirty laundry collect in some back room. In fact, God didn't wait for us to clean up our own act. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. We can't earn it. And the only way to a clean heart is to surrender to him. When we receive the gift of forgiveness, our lives become clean and spotless in his eyes while our journey continues following him forward. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 reads, Come, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. Wouldn't it be nice to live our lives in such a way that we could be unafraid of our past catching up with us? Is that even possible? The beatitude that we're learning about in this choice says, Matthew 5, 8, blessed or happy are the pure in heart. A pure heart is one that is free and clean of impurities. It's a heart free of all the junk that weighs us down. It's a heart that's washed clean of all the hurts, hang-ups, and habits that plague our lives. Those who are truly pure in heart aren't afraid of their pasts. They don't spend their today looking over their shoulder at yesterday. But for many of us, the hope of a pure heart may have been given up a long time ago. You might be here tonight thinking to yourself, is the happiness that's connected to a pure heart even possible for me? And the answer's coming up. In this lesson, we're going to learn about coming clean. It's not going to be easy, but it's broken down into steps, and the results will change your life forever. The truth is that we all have regrets. We all have done things that we wish we can go back and change, but we can't. We feel guilty, and we carry that guilt with us, sometimes consciously, but most of the time unconsciously. We deny our guilt. We repress it and blame other people for it. We make excuses and we rationalize. But no matter how hard we try to run from it, we feel its effects just the same. If you are ever going to recover from the hurts and the hang-ups and the habits in your life and know the joy of a pure heart, you'll have to learn how to let go of your guilt and shame and how to gain a clear conscience. A young man called into one of those call-in talk show, radio, radio talk shows hosted by a psychologist and said on the air, I'm consumed with guilt, and I don't know what to do with it. How do I get rid of this guilt? The answer offered by the talk show host was very upsetting. He said, you can't get rid of guilt. You just have to learn to live with it. That's not the answer. (laughs) This guy actually told the hurting young man to rationalize his guilt. We can rationalize all we want. We can say things like, it's okay, everybody's doing it, or it was a long time ago. But in our hearts, we know what we did was wrong. In this lesson, the good news is that you will find the key to relief from your guilt. 
If you take the steps needed to complete this choice, you will know the blessing and the happiness of a pure heart as you share the words of the psalmist. In Psalm 32, verses 1 to 2, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. Before we start working on steps to overcoming guilt, it's important to understand the negative effects that guilt has on our lives. Guilt does at least three things to us. Here's the first one. It's going to be the first fill-in on your outlines. Go ahead and write this down. Guilt produces the shame that destroys our healthy confidence. Guilt produces the shame that destroys our healthy confidence. I'm going to break this down for us. When you do something wrong, when you are guilty of something, you become ashamed of what you've done. You may become ashamed of what you've become. That shame in your life, which is connected to the things that you are guilty of doing, can cause you to shrink back from those in your life. It can cause you to shrink back from God and from other people. It can cause you to lose your confidence when you're in their presence. Now we're talking about the loss of healthy confidence here because not all confidence is equal. Unhealthy confidence is is seen in demonstrations of pride and ego and over-the-top bravado. Some people use the display of unhealthy confidence as a way to try to cover their shame. Shame? What shame? Who, me? I don't have anything to be ashamed about. I am awesome all of the time. Healthy confidence, on the contrary, is the ability to be oneself in the presence of another person. A person with a healthy confidence doesn't think more highly of themselves than they ought to. And a person with a healthy confidence doesn't think lowlier of themselves than they ought to either. Someone with a healthy confidence doesn't have any reason to hide anything from anyone. The destruction of a healthy confidence in any person is tied directly to the shame they carry in their life. Guilt, shame, and a healthy confidence cannot coexist in the same person. It's impossible. We see this dynamic play out in the first few pages of the Bible. Do you remember what Adam and Eve did when they incurred guilt in their life by sinning against God? Were they confident to stand in his presence after they had sinned? No. Were they confident to stand in each other's presence after they had sinned? Also no. They became ashamed for the very first time in their lives. They were ashamed because of their guilt. And that shame caused them to hide themselves from God. And that same shame caused them to hide themselves from each other. And thousands of years later, nothing has changed. Because the shame we have in our lives causes us to hide ourselves from God and from others too. Shame is the fear that I'll be caught or that people will realize that I'm actually not all I say that I am. Shame makes us feel insecure because we're always worried that somebody will find out the truth about us. And if they do, will they still like us? Shame is like a dark cloud hanging over our head. We're constantly worried that someone's going to find the skeleton in our closet, that deep, dark secret that only we know about. It's like carrying a heavy bag of rocks around our necks all the time. Shame is tied intrinsically to the guilt in our life that hasn't been dealt with. And this is true whether the guilt is ours or even if it's someone else's guilt. Let me explain. We're ashamed of the wrong things we've done, the things we're guilty of, but sometimes we're ashamed of the wrong things that were done against us things that other people are guilty of. You can feel shame connected to something that you aren't even responsible for. Victims of physical and sexual abuse carry this kind of shame around with them, sometimes for all of their life. And they feel shame in their life connected to the wrongdoing of another person. Jesus knew this kind of shame. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 to 3 says, Keeping our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. The ordeal of the cross was shameful from start to finish, 
And Jesus wasn't guilty of anything ever. And yet there were people who wronged him in very shameful ways. He endured it, went through it, and came out on top on the other side of it. Though Jesus was sinned against, he doesn't have anything in his life that he is ashamed of today. And that's my hope for you. If you have guilt in your life that you haven't dealt with, your guilt or the guilt of another, you will carry shame in your life to some degree, and that shame will rob you of your healthy confidence. But what if your guilt's removed? Where would your shame be if your guilt is gone? If your guilt is removed from your life, the basis for your shame is gone. There's no more reason to be ashamed if your guilt has been dealt with. If your guilt is gone, then your shame should be nowhere to be found too. And if your shame is gone, that heavy bag of rocks that is hanging around your neck will be removed and you'll be able to lift up your head once again before God and before others. Number two, guilt damages our relationships. Guilt sabotages our relationships by causing us to respond in harmful ways. We sometimes overreact out of impatience or anger, or we explode without reason because of some buried guilt. Guilt can also cause us to indulge people unwisely. Parents often feel guilty over poor choices they've made and overcompensate by indulging their kids. Guilt can also cause us to avoid commitment. We wonder why we won't let people get close to us. We allow ourselves to get just so close, but no closer. One of the main reasons is guilt. Guilt from past relationships can push its way into the present and taint the future. Many marriage problems are the result over things that happened prior to or early on in the marriage. That guilt from the past can cause problems in our marriage today. Number three, guilt keeps us stuck in the past. Instead of dealing with the current problem, some people remain stuck in the past. Their guilt over something they did holds them prisoner. Guilt tries to keep us focused on what's behind us by replaying the past in our minds over and over. We replay all the things we wish we could change. It's like trying to drive a car forward by always looking in the rearview mirror. A rearview mirror is helpful because it gives us perspective. But looking at our past gives us perspective too. But if we only ever look at our past, we never get to see the present or look forward to the future. Some people focus on the past to the extent that their rear view mirror becomes bigger than their windshield. They only look at what has happened behind them. And with this kind of driving, forward progress is nearly impossible. In fact, a crash is likely in the near future. A part of spiritual growth involves the process of expanding your windshield and shrinking your rearview mirror so that you can get on with the present. And shrinking the rearview mirror in our life doesn't mean that we're denying the past. Shrinking the rearview mirror means we are dealing with the past in a proper and a healthy way so that we can start focusing on what needs to be done today. Feeling guilty cannot change the past just like worry cannot change the future. Feeling guilty just makes our today miserable. And over time, guilt can make us even physically sick. When we swallow our guilt, our stomachs keep score. And if we don't talk it out with God and others, we'll continue to take it out on ourselves and others. Choice number four is the one that brings our painful past out in the open so that we can deal with it, be cleansed of it, and then move on to health, balance, and happiness. This fourth choice may be a scary one, and let's just be honest, it is. But please hear me on this. Choice four is a step that separates those who just want to talk about getting healthy from those who really want to actually get healthy. Choice number four is all about coming clean, and here is the choice, and it's on your outline. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. If you want to change your life, if you want to get well, if you want to grow and let go of your past guilt once and for all, you will have to come clean and make this fourth choice. There's no way around it. The following five steps will help you move past your guilt, and while the procedure is fairly simple, it isn't an easy thing to actually do, and it requires a lot of courage. Write this down. 
Moving past guilt requires taking a personal moral inventory. It requires taking a personal moral inventory. Now, this may sound a bit scary, but taking a personal moral inventory will be one of the most productive and cleansing things that you can do. Think of it like cleaning out a closet. When you clean out your closet, you uncover things that may have been stuffed in a dark corner for years. That stuff may even be stinking up your house, but you've ignored it because the thought of closet cleaning is just too overwhelming. However, when you clean out your closet, you also discover some unexpected treasures, favorite pieces of clothing that you thought had been lost, or something tucked away that you had forgotten about that has some great memories attached to it. That's how it is with our personal moral inventory. We may have all kinds of messes stuffed inside us that we've tried to ignore, some that may even be stinking up our lives. However, we'll also discover some great things about ourselves that we'd forgotten or never even realized. Once we actually get around to doing it, taking a personal moral inventory can transform our lives. You can get into the specifics on how to do the moral inventory in the make the, make the choice section that is found at the very end of your outline. But for now, let's look at the following acrostic to help us understand how this inventory works. It's the word moral, and you can see this on your outline. The inventory begins with M, making some time to be alone with no interruptions, and you need to take your time. Don't rush it. Next, O, open your heart and mind to God and let him reveal what you need to see. Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. As you begin to see the truth about yourself, you can, R, rely fully upon God's grace, knowing that he has forgiven you no matter what your inventory uncovers. The blood Jesus poured out on the cross is more than enough to cover all of your guilt. As you, A, analyze yourself, you must be ruthlessly honest. No more pretending, no more covering up, no more denying. And finally, be sure not to only look at the negative things in your life, but also list also L, list the good. It's important to keep your inventory balanced. And it's important to do this inventory in writing. Why? Because writing forces you to be specific. Thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass from the lips through to the fingertips. If you don't put it down in writing, it will remain vague. Just saying, God, I've blown it in my life. Not specific enough. We've all blown it, but we need to get specific. And, when, and we do that by writing it down. Here's a quote from John Baker. He says, when I wrote down my moral inventory, I saw for the first time how over the years my poor choices had hurt all those most important to me. It was truly a moment of clarity. I understood how my drinking hurt my wife, my children, and all those close to me. Although it was painful to go through, the end result was worth every minute of it. My past was no longer a secret, and I could choose to continue my healing journey and do my part in restoring all the relationships that I had damaged. End quote. Number two, go ahead and write this down. Moving past guilt requires that you accept responsibility for your faults. Honestly accepting responsibility for ourselves is not an easy thing to do, but God has created us with the ability to see ourselves for who we are. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 27 says, The Lord's lamp sheds light on a person's life, searching the innermost parts. Another translation puts it this way, the Lord gave us mind and conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. Accepting responsibility for our faults begins with one do and three don'ts. One, do be radically honest. The truth of the matter is we ourselves are the greatest barrier to the healing of our own hurts, hangups, and habits. Our healing starts with us being radically honest and that means stepping out of, the out of denial and saying, I'm the problem. We can't keep saying, well, if I could just change relationships, if I can change jobs, if I could change locations, then everything would be just fine. The problem with that kind of thinking, though, is wherever you go, there you are. Number two, don't rationalize. We can't keep saying, it happened a long time ago, or it's just a stage, or everybody does it, or nobody's perfect. 
We need to be honest and face the truth about ourselves. God's grace can cover us no matter what the truth is. We don't need to minimize our actions by saying it's no big deal. If it's no big deal, why is it still negatively affecting us 20 years later? Number three, don't blame others. We blame others by saying it was mostly their fault. It may actually have been mostly their fault, but God doesn't hold us responsible for the part that was their fault. He holds us responsible for whatever part is our fault. It's time to stand tall and accept responsibility for our part in our life's problems. Number four, don't deceive yourself. We just need to admit where we messed up. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we really want to stop defeating ourselves, we have to stop deceiving ourselves, and God will help if we just ask him. Don't you think it's time to finally deal with your guilt so that you can get on with life? As you complete your moral inventory, you'll be able to look at your list and say, yep, that's me. That's the good, the bad, and the ugly. I accept responsibility for all my faults. Now, I need to interject a special note right here, and this is very, very important. If you've been physically or sexually abused as a child or as an adult, I want you to know that I'm so sorry that you suffered through that abuse. There's no way that I can know the pain that it caused you but I want you to know that I empathize with your hurt. When you start writing down your list of wrongs, simply put the words in all caps, bold, not guilty for the abuse that was done to you. No part of that sin committed against you was your fault. Renounce the lie that the abuse was your fault. But here's what you can ask God for. You can ask God to help you take responsibility for how you may have hurt others because of your reactions to your past abuse. Okay, write this down. Moving past guilt requires that you ask God for forgiveness. Ask him for forgiveness. First John chapter 1 verse 9 says, "If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." You cannot find a better promise than that. If we freely admit it, God will forgive us. God's nature is the basis for forgiveness. There's no sin so severe that God cannot forgive. Isaiah 1, 18, one more time. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. God is, in this verse, God is saying, no matter how deep the stains of your sin, I can take it out and make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. A woman came in to see her pastor and said, I'm depressed. I've been in bed for weeks. I no longer have the energy to get out and live. Sensing her deep pain, her pastor asked her, is there something in your life you really regret? And she began to pour it out. Yes, my husband travels. I had an affair and got pregnant and had an abortion. And I've never told my husband about it. The pastor shared that God's promise that no matter how deep the stain of our sins, God can take it out and forgive us. Distressed, she replied, it just doesn't seem fair. Somebody's got to pay for my sin. Somebody already has, the pastor assured her. His name is Jesus Christ. That's why he died on the cross. He died for that sin and every other one you've committed and confessed and ones you're going to commit. She cried and asked, how do I ask God for his forgiveness? You may be asking the same question here tonight. Here's how. Number one, don't beg. You don't have to beg God for God to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. God wants to forgive you way more than you want to be forgiven by God. He is a forgiving God. Number two, don't bargain. Don't say to God, if you'll just forgive me, I'll never do this again. If you say you'll never do it again, and that's your area of weakness, you're probably setting yourself up for failure. You don't have to bargain with God to get his forgiveness. Number three, don't bribe. Don't say to God, if you will forgive me, I promise to do a bunch of good things. I'll go to church, I'll tithe, I'll help the poor. God doesn't want you to try to bribe him. He wants you to admit your faults and sins to him and turn from them to the purposes that he has for you. And then number four, Do believe. Do believe that he will forgive you. 
He forgives our sin and makes us thoroughly clean from all that is evil. When we freely admit that we have sinned, we find God utterly reliable. To admit or confess means that we agree with God about the sin in our lives. We're not making up lies or stories about ourselves. We're just acknowledging what is true about our life. We're saying, God, you're right. What I did or I'm still doing is wrong. I'm guilty. Please forgive me. That's what it means to confess and to ask God for forgiveness. And you will be forgiven. You will have your guilt removed from you. Write this down, number four. Moving past guilt requires that you admit your faults to another person. Admit your faults to another person. Here's another scary thing to do. But God tells us that it's absolutely essential to share our moral inventory list with another person. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. How does this verse say that we're healed? By admitting our faults to one another, by praying for one another. I know what some of you are thinking right now. Why can't we just admit our faults just to God? Why does another person have to be involved? Well, the answer is because the root of our problems is relational. We lie to each other. We deceive each other. We're dishonest with each other. We wear masks and pretend that we have it all together. We deny our true feelings and we play games largely because we believe if they really knew the truth about me, they wouldn't love me. We become more isolated than ever. We keep all the junk of our past inside and we get sick. There's a saying that goes like this, we are only as sick as our secrets. The hurts, hangups, and habits that we try to hide end up making us sick, but revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. When you follow God's instruction to confess your sins to one another, when you risk honesty with another person, all of a sudden a wonderful feeling of freedom comes into your life. You begin to realize that everybody has problems, and many have the same ones that you do. And there's something therapeutic about admitting your faults to another person. It's part of God's way of freeing you. Maybe you're beginning to open up your heart to the possibility of sharing your inventory list with one other person, but you have some real practical questions. Who do I tell? What do I say? And when do I do it? We're going to answer those questions right now. How do you choose who you're going to tell? Do you just go out and broadcast your sins to everybody? Please don't do that. <laughs> Telling the wrong person or people could cause big trouble. You don't just indiscriminately tell your problems to anyone. You need to find a safe person to share your inventory with. Hopefully you found that person as you completed the action steps in the first three lessons. If not, here are some additional suggestions that will help you find the right person. Ask someone you trust, someone who can keep confidence and is not a gossip. You don't want to finally share the secrets you've bottled up for years and then read about them next week on someone else's Twitter feed. Number two, ask someone who understands the value of what you're doing, someone who values and understands the journey and the process of a changed life. Three, ask someone who is mature enough not to be shocked someone who's been transparent with you about his or her life. And number four, ask someone who knows the Lord well enough to reflect his forgiveness to you. An elder, your accountability partner, a ministry leader, a trusted friend, or a Christian counselor. Like I tell you this, most genuine Christians would be honored. They'd be honored to have you share your inventory with them. Okay, say you have your person. What do you say to them? Well, first, before you say anything, find a place to meet where you won't be interrupted. You'll be sharing some tough issues, and it may not be easy to get the words out. You need plenty of time, and you don't need any distractions. Second, be upfront in saying that you need to share your moral inventory list. You may start off by saying, I just need someone to listen to me as I verbalize some things that I know are wrong in my life, some of the things that I've done and felt, my hurts, my hang-ups, and my habits. Third, be specific. The secret you most want to conceal is the very one that you need to reveal. The revelation of that most painful secret will bring you the most healing. Then you will experience God's abundant grace and finally be free. You will experience relief and freedom like never before. 
By taking this action, you step out of the darkness of your secrets and into Christ's freeing light of life. John 8, 12 says, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So when do you do it? Well, there's one answer to this question, as soon as possible. Don't procrastinate. You may be thinking, you're probably thinking, I'll just finish the rest of this series, I'll come back and share my moral inventory with another person. Or you might be thinking, hey, you know, I might need to think about this one for a while. Maybe I'm not quite ready to take this next step yet. That's okay, that's okay. You might just need a little more pain in your life first. God is waiting to free you from your past. He's waiting for you to come clean so that you can move toward healing and joy. Make this healing choice. Do it now, and God will bless you and protect you. Write this down. I believe this is the final fill-in on our outline. Moving past guilt requires that you accept God's forgiveness. Romans 3, 23 to 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified, which means they're made right, freely, by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This passage tells us that we've all missed the mark. We've all done things for which we need God's forgiveness. We're all in the same boat. We've all sinned. We've all made poor choices. We all have hurts, hang-ups, and habits just in different areas and in different degrees. But this passage also tells us that all of us, without exception, can receive full forgiveness in our life for everything that we've ever done wrong everything we are currently doing that doesn't honor God, and for everything sinful that we will do in the future. That's how incredible God's grace is. It's available to cover all of our sins, past, present, and future. We're going to look at how amazing this forgiveness is that God makes available to us, but before we do, I feel it necessary to remind you of the order of these life's healing choices. As you hopefully know by now, they are numbered and in sequential order. And the choices need to be made in numerical order. Choice one comes before choice two, choice two comes before choice three, and believe it or not, choice three comes before choice four. This means you cannot enjoy the benefits of choice four until you make choice three in your life. You can't skip choice three and just go to choice four to get the forgiveness you so desperately need. It doesn't work like that. Choice three is all about trusting in what Jesus has done for you in his life and his death and his resurrection by believing in him and turning all of your life and your will over to his care and control. The forgiveness of your sins, which brings about the removal of your guilt, is tied exclusively to having had received Jesus Christ into your life. It's a package deal. Jesus plus forgiveness. Here's a little play on words that I hope will help you remember this truth that's on your outline. No Jesus equals no forgiveness. But if you know Jesus, you will know forgiveness. If you missed the message about choice three last week, make sure you go online and watch it as soon as you can. You will hear everything that you need to know in order to make an informed decision to believe in Jesus. And make, make that choice if you haven't already. So with that said, let's take a peek at what God's forgiveness looks like for those who have Jesus. It's so good. What actually happens when God forgives us? How does forgiveness work? You guys ready for some great news? Number one, God forgives instantly. He doesn't wait. The moment you ask, you're forgiven. It's done. He never makes you wait or suffer for a while. He loves you way too much. Humans do that sometimes, but God never does that. This is the confidence that we have. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Doesn't that sound like exactly what you need? Number two, God forgives freely. He free, amen. He freely takes away your sins that you are guilty of. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's free. Romans 3, 24, one more time, they are justified, which means they're made right freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If you've got your pen open, circle that word on your outline, freely. Mark it real bold. You don't want to forget this ever. God is the one who makes us right by his grace and for free. 
Number three, he forgives completely. God's forgiveness is not in stages. It's not partial. It's not halfway done. It is absolutely complete. He wipes our sin out. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. None. And how great it feels to live a life with no condemnation in it. To live with the knowledge that God loves us in spite of all of our faults. Now, all that's left is to do it. In the three action steps for this lesson found at the end of your outline, you will find help to deal with your guilt, come clean through personal moral inventory, and accept God's gracious, full, and free forgiveness. This brings us to the time in the message where I'm so... I love this part of Life's Healing Choices almost more than anything else is that we get to hear from different members of Gospel City Church share a part of their story. And I know this is true of parents and it's true of pastors. You're not supposed to have favorite, right? Favorite kids or favorite members. There's an exception for tonight. This is my favorite member of Gospel City Church because I'm going to invite my incredible wife Jessica to come up and she's going to share a little bit of her story with us. All right, so the truth is, we've heard this tonight, that we all have regrets. We've all done things that we wish we could go back and change, but we can't. Would you be open to sharing about a part of your life in the past that you regret? What's one part of your story that wish you can go back and change, but you can't? Uh, I certainly have um, many, many regrets in, in my life, and I think uh, lots of us do. Um, but as I was preparing uh, what to share for tonight, and I was praying about it, one kind of rose to the surface that I want to highlight tonight because it was the one that I had the most brutally difficult time coming clean about, and I was plagued with guilt and shame for years. And it's something that goes decades back. It goes back into uh, my teenage years. And so I'll rewind a bit and try and give that a little context. Um, when I was a, a teen, um, I was actually running far from God at that point in my life. I had grown up in a, in a Christian home, and as a child, I knew God, and I loved him. Um, but as I reflect back um, to my adolescent years, I could see that I had like this deep misunderstanding of the gospel. And I think part of it stemmed from human relationships are, are so contractual. They're based on... Uh, performance, and you get love by doing good things. And my misunderstanding of the gospel uh, started to play out functionally with me believing I had to earn God's love and his acceptance through good behavior, through my performance, and I would forfeit his love and his acceptance through bad behavior. Um, so basically, it was if I was good, I was in. If I was bad, I was out. And I just had somehow no framework for sin or failure in the Christian life. Um, I just didn't know how to apply God's grace on an ongoing basis. So the pressure to be good all the time and to be good enough started to weigh on me like a, like a heavy ton of bricks. And at some point, I just gave up trying. Um, I thought, if I can't be good enough... Well, I think I can be really good at being bad um, because that's going to be a whole lot easier and it's going to be a lot more fun. And so I dove headlong into the, into the party scene, drugs, alcohol, relationships, and at, at first it was really fun, I thought. Um, but it, it didn't stay fun. And uh, on one occasion at, at a party, I was sexually violated and I was raped. And the shame and the humiliation and the disgrace and the fears, um, it just sent me in a, in a tailspin. And my, my response to that was to actually mask that and cover that with lots more drugs, alcohol, and relationships. And my life started to unravel. And eventually, I dropped out of high school. Um, and shortly after dropping out of high school, I found out that I was pregnant. And that was a moment where everything just kind of came screeching to a halt. It's like all my choices had caught up with me in a single moment, and I was so overwhelmed, and I was so scared, and I didn't know what I was going to do. 
Um, but I could see that there were two paths in front of me. I could see there was two roads. And one looked like taking responsibility for this life that was within me and to become a mother. Um, but that would mean turning from my selfish living. It would mean admitting my faults. Uh, it would mean me asking for help. And I was totally unwilling to do that. Uh, my pride and my fear, they just screamed in my ears. And I, I made the decision that I regret so deeply uh, to this day. And I chose to terminate my pregnancy and have an abortion. And I, I knew it was wrong. And the weight of the guilt and the shame plagued me for years. I just really want to take a moment just to thank you and thank you because I appreciate your vulnerability and the honest honesty in sharing this part of your, your story, Jess, because uh, we know there are many people, I hope you know this, there are many people both inside and outside the church that can relate and can resonate, and maybe not all the details are the same, but uh, deep, deep pain, deep regret, and living it, living it and carrying it for so long. This is a common human experience, so thank you just for sharing and touching on that. Because when we're doing this, we want to make sure we let people know there's a God in heaven who's made a way for us to actually have our deep hurts and failures have, be covered, cleansed, removed, receive forgiveness. Not just forgiveness for stealing cookies out of the cookie jar, right? Forgiveness for the worst. That's how good God is. And we need to hear about that more. We have to testify about how good he is to us. You don't have to keep your things hidden and buried. You can bring them to the, to the light. So thank you for, for doing that. So here's another question. Would you be willing to share about the process of bringing your abortion into the light? What did it look like to come clean through confession to God and sharing with someone that you trust? Uh, what brought me to the point of confession to God was actually more pain. Um, I, after the abortion, the, the, the intense guilt and shame were so strong and so heavy that I actually continued to mask it with drugs and, and alcohol and relationships uh, to the point where I rammed my life into the ground. Uh, there was no semblance of beauty or goodness left in it, and I found myself at a point of sheer worthlessness and hopelessness. So much self-hatred and despair. But it was in that place I remembered God. And I remember the day where I fell to my knees. I remember the day where I cried out for his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And I just said, if you can take my life and, and you can redeem it, like have it, like have it. And that was a decisive shift in my life. That was, that was pivotal. And it was like a million pound boulder was lifted off my soul. And I began to just feel the, the relationship of, with God come alive. I became in love with him again, and I returned to like the church and reading the word, and I was just alive. And I actually contacted uh, somebody I trusted in the church, and, and I said, you know, can, can we meet? Can I, can I talk about what's been going on? And I started confessing. I started confessing my, my sin and where I'd been and what I had done except for the abortion. That was one thing that I still wanted to hide. And I was so locked up. I know that I had asked God for forgiveness, and I, I know he forgives, but I was just so locked up in shame that I was unwilling to talk about that and to verbalize that and admit that with my own mouth. And so I stayed locked up in that place of shame. Though I had experienced God's grace and forgiveness, I stayed locked up in shame. In our message today, we talked about how guilt produces shame. And you just shared briefly some of your, your battle and your experience with shame. Do you believe there is freedom in Christ from shame? And if so, what does this look like? 
Uh, yes, <laughs> I do believe um, there is freedom in Christ from shame. I, I, um, and the answer is the gospel. Um, but I'll, I'll talk a bit about what that looked like to appropriate that in my life. And there was a, a stage in my life, it was in my 30s, and, and BJ and I actually, um, we became members of a, of a church downtown that just loved and preached the word of God faithfully. And they uh, were running a group uh, that discussed a whole bunch of topics like what we're talking about in Life's Healing Choices. And we talked about guilt and shame and confession and repentance and God's redemption plan through our sin. And it was in that season that God started to minister deep healing to the shame surrounding my abortion. It was, it was uh, a time of me seeing what was hiding in my shame and what was fueling my shame. And what was fueling my shame was pride, failure, and fear. Fear that people would see my failure and that they would know that I was not good enough and that if I wasn't good enough, well then how could I be loved and accepted um, by God or by anybody else? And the freedom that came into my life was God showing me that I could never be good enough. He revealed it to me deep in my core, like intellectually I knew this to be true, but he let the gospel just, just come alive in that way. And he showed me that Jesus is the only one who is good enough. He is the only one who lived the perfectly obedient life. He's the only one who measured up and that he offers me his obedient life as a free gift, not by earning it. And he offers me that free gift, not just when I'm doing well, but at my worst. And that kind of love and that kind of reality of the gospel, uh, the gospel just set me free. And it made me want to actually not just keep that freedom to myself, but like I actually started to like actually wanted to then share that. And I actually wanted to declare what God had done in this portion of my life. And so um, I had an opportunity to share my story and I wanted to actually bring forward publicly this area of my abortion and what God did by showing me his, his grace and his freedom in Christ. And the first opportunity I had to declare publicly, guess what? I failed. I actually shrunk back in fear and in shame, and I went home from that experience just so broken again. And guess what? That same shame, I needed to preach the gospel to myself again, had to come in, and I had to understand that even my failure, again, I could rest in the finished work of Christ on my behalf. I didn't have to live owning that uh, for the rest of my life. I could actually know God's grace and acceptance even in failure. And he gave me another opportunity to share. And I remember sharing publicly and saying out loud the thing that I could not share and talk about the abortion and talk about God's grace and talk about God's forgiveness and it was healing. And here I stand as a product today of being free from shame where I can actually declare publicly freedom in Christ, the forgiveness that sets me free, and it's not by works of my own, it's by the works of the perfect Son of God in my place. And um, yeah, I just, I just wanna just encourage anyone here tonight um, that if you've got shame buried, don't keep it hidden. It gives birth to more. <laughs> it gives birth to more shame, to more guilt. Bring it into the light. Go and approach the throne of grace and find mercy and help in your time of need. It's there. That's so good, Jess. Made me think of a, a phrase that a, an author has used talking about Christians that were trophies of God's grace. That's what we're hearing right now is a trophy of God's goodness and his power and his love in your life. Um, that's real good. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Face, facing your past and being honest about your guilt 
is not easy. It didn't sound easy. It won't be easy. But you need God's help. Good thing he's going to give it to you. But you need his help to make uh, this fourth choice and every choice in life's healing choices. Prayer is the best way to tap into his power. And so uh, I'm going to invite you to pray with me right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer. And if the words I pray resonate with your heart, just make, them your, make it your prayer. Pray it in your heart or use any words that you want to use <laughs> to communicate with the God who is near you, listening to you, and loving you. Let's pray. Dear, dear God, you know my past, all the good and the bad choices I've made and all the good and bad things I've done. In working through choice four, I ask that you give me the strength and courage to list the items called for in the right about section so I can come clean and face the truth. Please open my eyes to the truth of my past the truth of how others have hurt me and how how I have hurt others. Please help me reach out to others you have placed along my pathway to healing. Thank you, Jesus, for providing these individuals to help me keep balanced as I do my inventory. As I come clean in this choice, I thank you in advance for the forgiveness that you have already given me. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us for this study. Before you go, I want to share just a few quick things with you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to gospelcity.ca slash gospel right now. You'll find a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing. So go to gospelcity.ca slash gospel right now now to learn more about Jesus. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at gospelcity.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you'd like to support the teaching ministry of Gospel City through financial giving, you can do so by going to gospelcity.ca slash give. And finally, I want to invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for updates and encouragements throughout the week. And you can find all those links in the top right corner of our website. We love you, Uppercase C Church. Be blessed.